We, uh, we're going to talk about pressure today. Anybody check out the title of the message? Huh? I don't know. Who came up with that title? A personal pressure plan. It's like Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, right? So um, whoever came up with that, man, they must be crazy. But uh, we're going to talk about dealing with pressure. We Just so you know, we're not going to get done with the whole message. So if you like to follow along on the back of the bulletin with the film, we're not going to do the whole thing. We will uh, try to finish it up uh, next week. So we'll deal. And I, I just wanted to sl- I turned the outline in and I realized, you know what? We're getting near the end of Joseph and Joseph is such an important story. And when you think about it, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, we have more spoken words by Joseph in the Old Testament than any other person. As great as Abraham is, we have more spoken words by Joseph than any other person. So it's just a really, really important story. And he deals with so much pressure And he deals with the pressure very, very well. I thought, let's just slow down and let's take a look at some of these things and we'll finish it up next week. And it just as a shot across the bow as a warning, uh, we kind of skimmed over it a few weeks ago intentionally, but we're going to come back to this thing because he deals with tremendous temptation, tremendous sexual pressure when Potiphar's wife is after him on a daily basis basis. You have this, you know, gorgeous woman who on a daily basis is after him. And so we need to talk about um, this pressure that that we face. I've been reading through church history. You know, you look at all these great people historically of the faith, they speak very candidly about the pressure that they face on a, uh, on a sexual level. And so we can't just skim over it. So I thought we would do that. So there's your, just, just in case, and in case you like to bring young uh, kids with you uh, next week, maybe, maybe not the week for them to sit in here. And uh, all I just ask is that you would come with an open mind. Can you be open-minded about sex? Can you, in the first service, we had a child in here. I think they were about 10. And I said, can you be open-minded? They immediately shot their hand up. (laughs) It's awesome. So uh, there you go. We won't say anything else about that now, but just want to let you know that's coming. It's important. And we ask that uh, you would come with an open mind. All right. How's that? All right. Pressure. So uh, Time Magazine recently did a cover article. It's behind me about the mind revolution. It says some things in here that I thought were very interesting. And this is talking about the pressure that we're experiencing from a technology level. This is just technology. We're going to deal with other stuff besides that. But listen to what it says here. Technology has made it easier than ever to fracture attention into smaller bits. We answer a colleague's question from the stands at a child's soccer game. Anybody do that? Okay. We answer a colleague's question with the stands of childhood. We pay the bills while watching TV. Anybody do that? Anybody's doing that? You know, I catch myself. I'm writing notes to myself. Um, I'm, I'm listening to something, you know, like a book or something, and I'm reading a book at the same time. <laughs> Jesus, it's crazy. Okay. We uh, pay the bills watching TV. We order groceries while we're stuck in traffic. Anybody order groceries while stuck in traffic? No. Okay. All right. In a time when no one seems to have enough time, our devices allow us to be many places at once. But the cost of being unable, here it comes, here's the kicker, but the cost of us being unable to fully inhabit the place where we actually want to be. So this whole revolution, this mindfulness campaign says that 
it can be better. It says that there are Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who are flocking to this, Fortune 500 titans, Pentagon chiefs who are flocking to this because they need help. And then it goes on to say there are no signs that the forces splitting our attention into ever smaller slices are going to abate. To the contrary, they're getting stronger. Now we have smartwatches, we have eyeglasses that constantly beam notifications onto the periphery of our vision. Already many devotees see mindfulness as the indispensable tool for coping, both emotionally and practically from the daily, notice the way they use this word, the daily onslaught. We have an onslaught against us. There's tremendous pressure. And here then they talk about the keys to surviving. That's just technology, everybody. This is just what the what, what they're saying from studies that technology, what, what, what about the other pressures? Okay, we got technology and that's making it really tough for us to focus and, right, we have all that pressure on us. What about other social pressures that we experience? What about the pre- emotional pressures that we experience? What about in Joseph's case, the fact that his family abandons him and the family's really dysfunctional, right? And his dad, he's his dad's favorite, but his brothers absolutely hate him. How many of us come from a family that's really dysfunctional or a family where there's been favoritism or there's a family where there was a certain standard given to you and you feel like you couldn't reach that standard, but somebody else, terrible, somebody else in the family did reach that standard and now you're dealing with all that, you follow me, or at work when somebody is going up here and you're not going up here and you have all that, or shattered dreams, Joseph had a dream. This, this story is all about dreams. God has a dream for Joseph. You know what that means? That God has a dream for you. And so what about your dreams? Have your dreams come true? Because they didn't come true for Joseph. They didn't come true for Joseph, even though it was God's dream. Eventually they came true, but as we find him in the story now, they have not come true yet. Right? How about you? You had a dream and that dream hasn't come true. How are you handling that shattered dream? Does that put pressure on you? Are you scarred emotionally from that? Are you scarred in lots of ways from that? So what I'm saying to you is Joseph has all this pressure heaped on him. And the reason this story is so fascinating to me is the guy is rock solid, isn't he? He's unwavering. We see him being sold into slavery. He's being shackled. And he's tempted. He's tried. But he stands true. The guy's like a machine. It's incredible. How does he do it? A study came out a few years back. It was a really important study. It's a very extensive study. And it was on churchgoers in the United States of America. And they wanted to figure out, okay, who is thriving? How many people are actually feel like, through a whole set of questions, that spiritually... So Joseph is thriving. He's thriving in the worst conditions possible. So in America, where we're not dealing with the conditions that Joseph is dealing with, are we thriving? Because he thrived in the worst of the worst of the worst. He thrived as a slave. He thrived in prison. Of course, we must be able to thrive too. You know what they came back with? You know what the... How many... What percentage of churchgoers in America are spiritually thriving? 11%. 11%. And so it just makes me want to say, my gosh, this guy's like a machine. How did he do it? How did he survive? How did I just survive? How did he thrive under so much pressure and do so well and still stay true to God and trust, cling into God? All of that. How does he pull this off? This really intrigues me because we don't really see that going on on a large scale around us. And yet, how did he do it? And you bring, they're just throwing the kitchen sink at Joseph, and he's just, he's just knocking it out of the park every single time. So I want to talk about pressure this morning and how Joseph does it. So here's the first point. We'll only do two points today. And the first one is this. We have to immerse ourselves in Christ. 
The Bible says repeatedly, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Keep saying, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, what does it mean to me? I want to dive into Jesus. What does that mean to be in Christ? And yet it says it all over the place. I gave you just one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. It's a new creation when we're in Christ. There's power, there's transformation when we are actually in Christ. But what does that mean? mean. Okay, I want to tackle it from this angle because even as you read the story of Joseph and you know, it's incredible what he did and he was like a machine, he held up under pressure, there's a certain amount of spiritual pressure that we feel from that. It's like, oh my gosh, so Joseph is highly favored, he's successful, God's blessing him. Okay, I just have to do what Joseph what Joseph did. And then I'm like, oh, I can't do what Joseph did. I keep falling short. I'm trying and I feel very weary from it. And then we remember where Jesus comes along. I'm coming to all of you who feel what? Weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And what do most people think about the church? We talk about the church. The church is a bunch of a list of do's and don'ts. It's just a bunch of commands. And Jesus says, I'll give you rest. I'm like, there's no rest. I got to do what Joseph did. There's no rest in that. You know, when I'm sold into slavery by my brother's Oh, Jesus, it's all about you. No problem. Am I doubting God? Absolutely not. Rock solid. When I'm daily tempted by a beautiful woman, I am the pillar. There'll be not a hint. Did you see her walking around scantily clad? I didn't even notice her. What are you talking about? Oh, my gosh. Rock solid, right? Lied about, slandered. Not a problem. I'm okay. I don't get defensive, right? You don't get defensive when people slander you and say things about you and everybody thinks terrible things. It doesn't cause you a problem whatsoever. You know why? Because you trust in God. You got it. Go to prison. You're forgotten. You help this miserable criminal out in prison and he's set free and he's all happy and all you say is, just remember me. And he totally forgets about you and abandons you, but that doesn't bother you one bit. Prison, bring it on. It can't get, I mean, what, is that the best you can do against me? That's you and that's me, isn't it? Is there any pressure to that? So we read this story about Joseph. We're like, oh, yeah, all I have to do is be like Joseph, right? And what I'm going to suggest to you today is that is not the way to read the story. That actually, if we don't read the story of Joseph the correct way, we're going to end up in the wrong place. That's what I want to suggest to you. I want to tell you just a true, I'm going to tell you a true story real quick about to try to illustrate this fact. This could or could not have happened to my brother-in-law and sister. I don't want to name them, but it maybe could have happened to somebody like my brother-in-law and my sister. So uh, this couple uh, was out in Wyoming and wanted to go snowmobiling. And so uh, here they get to the place, the snowmobile place, and the person with the snowmobile says, okay, here it is. Here's how you operate it, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, he's going to cut them loose for a couple hours to go way on this trail and, you know, whatever. It's going to take hours. And they describe everything to them. And a part of the description says to them, you know, after about an hour or two or whatever, you're going to get really cold. And you're going to want to stop, and you're going to want some coffee, you want something to eat, you're going to sit by a fire, and lo and behold, on this trail is a house, and the house looks like this, totally describes the house. It's going to look like this, and you just, you go on in, it's, it, it is actually a cafe, it's like a bed and breakfast, it's, 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 a, it's a business, it's a business. Go on in there, get yourself, sit by the fire, get yourself something warm, get something to drink, boom, get back on it, that's about the halfway point, come on back. Okay, sounds good. So, you know, a lot of stuff maybe was going on in their heads, right? So they weren't really listening to all the right particulars about that. So they see the house, hour and a half, two hours into the whole thing, and just, just go launch right on into the house, and a guy walks around the corner and says, hey, 
uh, we'll take a cup of coffee and you got something to, like a Danish or something. We're going to sit by the fire over here. If you could bring that to us, that'd be great. They sit down, you know, and they noticed the guy was a little awkward when they first walked in, but whatever. And so they sit on the couch, sit by the fire, they drink and they have a good time and they leave. They put their stuff back on. They go back. Oh, and so they're talking to the snowmobile guy expert who rented it to him and said, how'd it go? And did you find the house? You stop at the house. Yeah, we found the house and it looked like such and such. He's like, what? Oh my gosh, that was somebody's house. You walked into just a Wyoming resident's house and told them to get you a cup of coffee and took over. And they're like, well, we thought something was odd when we said, you know, how much does this cost? And he says, oh no, it's free. But well, I want to say to you, there's confusion. If there's confusion about, if there's confusion about Jesus, if there's confusion about as you read this text, you're going to end up in the wrong house. Okay? So we have to end up in the right house. And so what I want to say to you is, as Jesus says in Luke 24, he says this twice in Luke, Luke 24, actually. So he's talking to his disciples. This is after he's been resurrected and having this conversation. He says to them, he says, hey, guys, you know that all the law, what's the law? The law of Moses, Torah, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, number Deuteronomy, right? The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, all the law and all the prophets is about who does he say? Does anybody know? Anybody ever read that? He says, all really about me. Jesus, not me, not me, but Jesus. He says it's all about Jesus. And then at the end of the chapter, when he's with all the disciples in an upper room somewhere, he says the same things. Like in the same chapter, you're telling us the same thing twice. Why would he do that? Because he really wants us to understand something. He says, actually, this time he adds the Psalms to it. He says, first five books of the Bible, the law, and the prophets, which is a lot, okay? And all the Psalms are all about Jesus. How do you read the story of Joseph? Is the story of Joseph really about Joseph and how you need to be like Joseph? Pressure. Or is the story really about Jesus Christ? And so what Jesus says here is the story is really about him. Think about this. Isaiah 26 says this. Very important verse in the Bible. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So as I read the story of Joseph, I can either fix my eyes on Joseph and say, you know, I need to do what Joseph did. Or I could fix my eyes on Jesus Christ and think about what Jesus Christ has done for, for me and how he fulfilled all of this. There's two totally different ways to look at it, and they're two different houses. And one of the houses leads to peace and power, and the other leads to pressure and problems. So we have to read it the right way. So I have this fill in the blank for you. It says, when the story is about me, it equals pressure. When the story is about Jesus, it equals peace. James, Jesus' brother, says the Bible is like, uh, like a mirror. And I want you to think about a mirror for a second. Let's just imagine that you have a mirror in front of you. And you're reading this. And if it's about you, you see your face in the mirror, you have to do all these things that Joseph did. You have to do this. Prison, not a problem. True, strong. Temptation, not a problem. True, still trusting. Family has treated you so bad. And And then you need to come out of this whole thing without bitterness, right? Sold into slavery, no bitterness. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's a piece of cake, isn't it? Or, or, if the story is really about Jesus Christ, then you look at the story and instead you look up to him and you realize it's not about what I do, but it starts with what he has done for me. 
and I allow his power, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's the key thing here. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. Years later, after this episode with Joseph, uh, his family stays in Egypt. The second great major event in the entire Old Testament, right? The first major event is the creation. The second major event in the Old Testament is the Exodus. God gives them the gift of salvation by setting them free first, and then once they get out to the desert, he gives them the law. You can check out the sequence. It always starts with Jesus, with salvation. The sequence is very important. And then when it's through Christ, and I'm focused on Christ, we're told that his spirit, this is the way God's spirit comes into us, to help us not to have to do things, but to want to do things, rather than we're doing it in our own strength and we're powering up to make it happen. And so all I'm encouraging you to do in this point is as you read through the story, to see Jesus in the story, to focus on Jesus rather than focusing on what you have to do. Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance. That's what Joseph did. He ran with perseverance. How did he stand up against all that pressure? Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. How? How, Hebrews? How do I do that? Fix your eyes on Jesus. So as you read, as Jesus says in Luke 24, as you read through this story, you need to find Jesus in the story and what Jesus Christ has done for you. And the Bible says, then you'll be filled with his power and then you'll be able to because you want to, not because you have to, because you want to, because his spirit is inside of you, helping you to do things that you could have never done by yourself, but you're fixed on Jesus Christ. The story is about Jesus. We immerse ourselves in Jesus. So I just want to close this point out by saying this. Who is this story really all about? Let's talk about Joseph for just a second. Let's just cover the highlights, all right? Joseph, betrayed by his brothers for silver, right? He's betrayed by his brothers for silver. He's stripped of his robe. He's tempted. He's slandered. He's abandoned. He's in prison between two criminals, right? He quickly ascends to the throne to the right hand of the king where he's given power to save. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Jesus Christ, not sold for gold, sold for silver, like Joseph. Actually, a very similar amount of silver. Isn't that interesting that Joseph was sold for? Stripped of his robe, wasn't he? They made a big deal about the robe. And Jesus, sold for silver, stripped of his robe, abandoned, slandered, rejected, He's on a cross between who? Between who, everybody? Two criminals. And then he ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he is given power to save. Who's the story really about? Is it about you and what you need to do or is it about what Jesus Christ has done for all of us? See, the Bible is really only telling one story. It's a story of redemption through Jesus Christ. And when we view the Bible that way, we begin to read it that way, we find ourselves filled with power, our eyes are fixed in the right direction, and it's transformational. It no longer is a conforming thing. It is transformational where we begin to really, really change. Well, that's the first point. Immerse yourself in Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing, what Joseph does. Immerse yourself in hope. This is really, this man, he just immerses himself in hope here. Hope is a powerful thing. Romans chapter 5 says hope does not disappoint. Hope is powerful. It won't disappoint you. University of Pennsylvania did a study. They did a study, a very great institution, University of Pennsylvania. I don't know if we have any alumni from UPenn here. But they did a study on incoming freshmen, and they found this out about their incoming freshmen. They said a better gauge 
on are they going to do well here at University of Pennsylvania was not their grades in high school, not their SAT scores. This sounds bizarre, doesn't it? They found a better gauge about are they going to do well here at University of Pennsylvania was were they hopeful that they would do well that their hope and their optimism was so powerful it was a better gauge on would they succeed at University of Pennsylvania than their previous high school grades and their SAT scores. Whoa, are you serious? Hope is a powerful thing, and the Bible says it will not disappoint us. What is Joseph hoping in? There are so many incredible details about this story that I would like to share with you. But I'm not going to because my wife reminds me all the time, John, not everybody is fascinated with what you're fascinated about, okay? But there's, I've just been just like going crazy. But there's so many details in this story that I've never seen before that I've been focusing on for months and months and months. I want to share them with you, but I'm not going to share them with you. I'm just going to share a couple, okay? What is he hoping in? Think about this. So... Let's just go back through, right? So he's sold into slavery. Potiphar, she's there, you know, at his house. And then he's slandered, right, by the wife. And then he, and he goes to prison. And then he ascends to the throne. And now it's 20 years. It's been 20 years since that time they threw him down. Now it's been 20 years. Remember, we're tracking Judah's life, if you've been around for a few weeks. So we're tracking Judah. So it's 20-year span. And now all of a sudden, here shows up the brothers. And you know what has always got me? So here they come. Here they come. Why does he go through this whole rigmarole with them about getting Benjamin, the 11th brother? No, the 12th brother, but that he would be another 11 to them. Joseph was 11. Benjamin was 12. Why does he so fixated on getting Benjamin down there? The other thing, so he's talking to them, and we're told this, that when he sees them, he makes a big deal out of this, he remembers the dream. He remembers the dream. Well, what was the dream about? The dream was that 11 brothers would bow down to him. And he's looking out at them, and he's counting how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten. There's ten. The dream was 11, right? And there's only ten. He is hanging on to hope in the dream. God had given him a dream. Has God given you a dream? God had given him a dream. Look, look. Let's be honest. The only reason to have all these dreams in this story is he's going to tell, oh, God had a dream for Joseph. Yay, Joseph, that's awesome. No, no, no. This, the, the deal with the story is, is God has a dream for you too. And Joseph is holding on to that dream for all he has. He says he remembers the dream. And he's just so, I've got to get that other brother down here. Is he still alive? What happened? So he questions him very, very closely. Bring him down here. And then he recreates this scene, kind of like the same thing that he went through. So he says to them, you're spies. And he goes back and forth. And then finally he says, look, I'm going to keep one of you. Now, what's interesting is, is he keeps Simeon, that's brother number two, instead of Reuben, who's brother number one. Has that ever bothered anybody here? Of course it hasn't. It's only bothered me. <laughs> it's bothered me a lot. I, it, it just stuck in me for a long time. Why Simeon? How did he make that choice? Because he didn't do it randomly. There's something behind it. And then it finally dawned on me. If you'll read the sequence of the story, they don't know that he understands everything. So the brothers are talking amongst themselves. Oh my gosh, man, we're being paid back for our sins. I can't believe we did do this. He with Joseph was in such distress. They have no idea. And he can hear everything. It's kind of like somebody who's, you know, really advanced in age and they can't hear anymore. And all of a sudden, unbeknownst to you, they go out and they get hearing aids and they understand everything that you're saying. And they change their will and they cut you out and that kind of stuff like that. It's going on. So, so right? So, so he understands everything. He's using it. He's playing it off. Okay. But he's hearing them talk. And then 
Here's right before he says, bind Simeon and let's keep him here. What happens? Reuben makes a speech. Reuben's number one, number, number one son. He, that's the guy he would have thought he would help. But he keeps Simeon instead. And so Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, meaning Joseph? Didn't I tell you not to? And so he finally, for the first time in his life, he's never known this before. For 20 years, he's thought two very powerful things. He's thought, first of all, that his father has forgotten him in Egypt. Right? You and I know the brothers told him that the dad, that he's dead, but he doesn't know that. He thinks his father just abandoned him. And the second thing is, he's now just learned for the first time that Reuben was fighting for his life. And so instead of binding Reuben, he says, take, take son number two, take Simeon. I'm like, oh my gosh, now it makes total sense. Well, how come I never got that before? He is recreating everybody, switching to a different thing. He's recreating the similar scenario that he went through, right? So when he was thrown down in a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery, what happened? You had all the brothers coming back. They had silver in their sacks, and their father Jacob is saying, you have all this money, you have all this silver, and you have one less son. And as far as Joseph knows, his dad never comes looking for him. Now, what's he recreating? He's recreating that. So now he puts all the silver in their sack. He says, go back home. I'm keeping one of your sons. I'm keeping one of my brothers, keep one here. And now Jacob, our father, is going to see you've returned again, one less son, silver in the sack. Will they come for the son this time? Have they changed? Do they care? Has there been transformation in their life or will they abandon that son as they abandoned me? What keeps Joseph going is he's hanging on to the dream. The dream is God's revelation to him. You have the Bible. You can put a Bible in your hands. Joseph didn't have a Bible. That dream he had was God's revelation. It was God's word to him, and he's hanging on to it. All the time you hear him saying, he remembers the dream, he remembers the dream, he remembers the dream. And I want to suggest to you that he's hanging on to God's word to him, and that is what gave him the hope to continue on because it was so filling him. And of course, he wasn't perfect all the time. My goodness, we don't have all the details of this story. He must have doubted from time to time. He must have. He's a human being. He's not God. But he is so filled with hope from God's word to him. And here's my question to you. You're dealing with pressure. Thank goodness you're not going through the things that Joseph went through. What are you hanging on to? What's the dream that you have? Do you have a dream? If you don't have a dream, you must get a dream. You must discover what is God's word to you? Because of that, God's revelation to you about God's plan for you, God's purpose for your life, that's what you must hold on to, and that will get you through. This is what says uh, in Romans 15, 4. Think about this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of what? The scriptures, the Bible, God's revelation through the scriptures, we might have hope. Scriptures, God's word. Joseph is hanging on to the revelation of God. The scriptures, we are told, are the things that give us hope. That's the whole intent of them, is to give us hope. Not to give us pressure, not to give us defeat, but actually give us the hope. The 11% I mentioned at the beginning of this whole thing, that 11%, you know what they said is the number one thing that actually helps them to be filled with hope and for them to thrive spiritually under pressure? You know what the number one thing by far was? The scriptures. What about it in the scriptures are you hanging on to that's filling with hope? Because that's the whole reason they were written, to give you hope. To help you through the pressures of life. God is very clear that our lives are filled with pressure. God knows this. 
and God wants to help us get through. But do you have that thing? Has God revealed that to you, your purpose in life? What has God called you to? You'll meditate on the scriptures. Let me give you one scripture here. It's Psalm 138. Maybe it's a psalm that you want to write down. Psalm 138, 8. This is what God says. It's not on the outline. It's not on the screen behind me. Here's simply what it says. Very focused. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Could we say that together? Ready? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. How about meditating on that all this week? I know when we think about the scripture, they're like, oh yeah, a lot of people are like, okay, well, I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to read all the way to Revelation. It's a lot of volume. The Bible calls us to meditate on God's word. It's really hard to meditate on that volume. Would, does anybody agree with me? Not that I don't want you to read Genesis to Revelation. I'm just suggesting that that might not be the place to start. You understand? Reading that amount of volume. How about picking out a verse like Psalm 138, verse 8? The Lord has a purpose for you. Do you know what your purpose is? Has God revealed that to you? Because Joseph does, and it keeps him going and thriving in the midst of the storm. What is your purpose? If you don't know, we need to discover it. If you don't know, we need to at least begin to discover it. Prayer team's right over here. I encourage you to pray with them or pray in your seats before you go today. But it's really important because only 11% of us, according to this massive study, feel like we're thriving. And for Joseph, the reason he thrives, he's hanging on to God's revelation to him. Have you had a revelation from God about your life and what you are called to do? We really need to have it. I'm going to show you a picture. Who is this guy here? Who's that? Okay, look what he says. If a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. If a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Have you discovered that? Joseph did, and it's what kept him going. God's revelation to him. Have you had that revelation? We really need to have that. We need to have that thing that's burning in your soul, that's keeping you alive, that you're focused on, because Joseph keeps clinging to the hope of God's revelation to him, and we need to cling to that. And that was what will keep us thriving under pressure. Do you have that? We really need to have that from God. So I want to tell you briefly three things about God's revelation, about God's plan, God's purpose, that we should filter this through, because our minds can go all over the place, all right? Thing number one. Does it fit God's will, right? So this thing, right, that maybe you know or maybe you don't know or you're searching for or whatever that you could hold on to with hope that keeps you motoring through the worst of conditions, does it fit God's will? Like, is it in God's will? So as you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, right, as we like to do, as we read through the Bible, is, is, is it okay? Is it work? Or is it, oh, I want to do this, but man, it's totally out of bounds from the Bible. So the first thing you'll find is it's going to be in bounds. Right? There's, it's going to be okay. It's going to line up with God's will as it's revealed in his word. There's your first thing. Here's your second thing. This is really important too. Does it fit your talents? Does it fit your talents? 
Joseph's dream is that he was going to rise up. He becomes the prime minister. He becomes this incredible CEO, right? Does this enormous thing. Well, you know what? It fit his talents. The dude was super uber talented as an executive. The guy was phenomenal. Everywhere he went, everything rose to the top. He was a great leader, great business guy. Should have been running this massive corporation. He ends up running this, he ends up running this huge country, this huge feeding program. He was talented that way. Has anybody watched American Idol? Huh? Has anybody watched it? Did anybody bother to tell somebody, I'm going to be the next American Idol? Well, then God should have given you the talent to be the next American Idol. And how many of us are wasting our time? Romans says that God gives us certain things that we do well. And how much time do we waste trying to do things that we want, but we're not equipped to do them well? They're outside of our talent zone. I can guarantee you this. God's purpose, God's plan, this dream that God wants to fire in your heart will always be in harmony with the talents that he gave you, not out of harmony. God wanted me to play in the NBA. He would have, oh my gosh. I mean, that's not ever going to happen, right? Right? It was never going to happen. I could train all I was. It's never going to happen. I don't have the talent to do it. It's not going to happen. Why bother my time trying? God has a different plan for my life. Take a look at your talents. Are they in harmony with what you're trying to do? Because that'll have to do everything with God's will for your life. Last point. So fit God's will, fit your talents, and and fits other people's needs. So the reason Joseph had messed up so badly at the beginning, the dream was true. Surely he must have thought somewhere along, oh my gosh, I must have, wrong dream. But you know what? The dream was true all along. His interpretation was completely wrong. Say it again. The dream was true all along. His interpretation was completely and utterly wrong. He thought it was all about him. He thought that God just wanted him to be happy and lifted up and everybody around. Hey, we love you, Joseph. It's great, man. We're all all about Joseph. We're all about Joseph. Joseph is great. And what he learned along the way is his dream had very little to do with him but everything to do with other people. I can guarantee you this. God's plan and purpose for your life has a lot more to do with other people and a lot less to do with you than what you could ever imagine. Joseph realized along the way that he's getting lifted up, not because God's like, hey, I want you to be happy. I want you to have comfort. I want you to have ease. I want you to be this great executive. God's lifting him up so he can save a nation. And it took all those years, 13 years, to dig all that self-focus out of Joseph that God wanted to do something. I want you to think about the dream that maybe some of you know in your heart this morning. Like, there's my dream. Okay. How is that impacting other people? How is that making a difference for other people? You want a promotion at work. How? Okay. You want this career. Okay. Is it just for you, for you to get it? Or is there a plan behind it? Is there something that it impacts? Because I guarantee you, it's going to have more to do with other people than it does for you. And maybe in the meantime, until you have that shift in focus, you're just in prison. You're just being frustrated with all the stuff going wrong. 13 years to dig it out of Joseph. How long will it take for us? When I talked to, to Krista about this, my wife, the uh, first thing she said is, okay, you're going to have a bunch of people in the room that are going to say, 
marriage is the dream. Marriage is the dream. I'm married and I want a great marriage. I don't have it. Or I'm single and I want to get married. So now what, big guy? What are you going to say now? Here's the thing. If you're looking at marriage to fulfill you, uh, it'll never do it. If you think that somebody else is going to bring happiness into your life, oh my gosh. <laughs> Jesus help you. You need to get... Uh, I have a bunch of married couples I'd like to introduce you to, and you can have some wonderful conversations. It's, Joseph got married. He did. That was just a part of the process of the whole thing, and that was a wonderful thing. He got married, had two sons. Okay, good. That wasn't the dream, though. That was a part of the dream. The purpose of the dream was about other people saving a nation, saving a people. Get bigger. It has to be bigger. It's got to go beyond yourself. Does it fit God's will? Does it fit your talents? And does it meet somebody else's need that's way beyond yourself? Discover that dream. It's going to mean everything. Okay, we have something special for you this morning. We're doing a baptism. And we have a couple people who are going to share their stories with you. So I'm going to ask if they would just come on up now. And the uh, music team is going to come out. Oh, yeah. Just just. Just come right on over. So I'm going to introduce you to Uta and Bren, and they're going to share their stories and then be baptized. And then we have a few other people that we are, we are going, to, we're going to baptize. This is Uta. Everybody say hello, Uta. Ah, come right on over. Bren, come right on over. They're a very friendly crowd, Uta. They're very nice. And so uh, would everybody just, uh, how about just a big... Thank you. immediately makes us feel comfortable. It's good. Okay. Well, come right on up, Bren, right so here. So good right morning, everyone. Okay. Thank you for being here for us today. Uh, is, that, is that on? Sorry, Uda, I just want to check. Oh, it is. Beautiful. Thank okay, you. Great. Sorry. Yeah. Let's put it right up. So my name is Uta, and I'd like to share with you my story. I was baptized as a baby into the Catholic Church. I've always believed in God, but our connection was strained. Fast forward several years later. Many years of selfishness, self-pity, sin, and ungratefulness for the wonderful things in my life led to a vicious cycle of self-entrapment and negativity that I could not escape. On Thursday, June 18, 2015, I had two panic attacks that would manifest into weeks of debilitating anxiety and depression that would forever change my life. After five weeks of not being able to eat or sleep, my thoughts became intrusive. It was that it, at this point that I voluntarily voluntarily admitted myself into the hospital. Upon intake, my nurse asked me if I believed in God. I shrugged my shoulders and said yes, and she replied, but Uta, you need a relationship with him. I knew nothing about establishing a relationship with God. She proceeded to tell me her story and how God has worked miracles in her life. She left me her Bible for the week and would place on my bed pronounced by Dr. Stanley on fear and anxiety. The irony of it all is that while riding home with a friend after happy hour on June 18th, I remember us discussing her faith and how religion has changed her life. I believe that my response to our conversation would sadden God so much that he was done with any more of his subtle attempts to try and get my attention. 
I boldly said back to my friend, I don't understand why you guys say prayer is so great. God never answers my prayers. Look at how my life has turned out. At the time, I had believed that my life was so unfulfilling because I am single, nearing 40, still living at home with my parents, and despite my education, I don't have the perfect job or tons of money. Rather, I failed to acknowledge that I was already blessed with a secure job, my health, loving parents, amazing friends, and the ability to just enjoy life. I consider myself blessed today because God refused to give up on me. He rather I face a significant amount of mind-blowing adversity in order to get my attention than continue living without him empty and afraid. The recovery from my breakdown has not been without challenge, but God is helping me to heal. Because of God, I have become humbled, and because of God, I now possess an instantaneous feeling of empathy and compassion for others in need. He is also teaching me how to let go of the past, not to worry about the future, and to simply enjoy the present while always being grateful for another day. Becoming rebaptized today reassures me that I will never have to face struggle alone, and it reassures God that I will keep my trust placed in Him while I learn to let go of the fear and anxiety that has consumed my life for so many years. In closing, I'd like to read Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you. Hello, my name is Brim. My whole life I felt like there was a void inside and emptiness a whole. It started as a little girl coming from a broken home. I wanted to be like other little girls, but I knew that I was different. I attempted to fill this void, this space, with everything from toys, boys, money, jewelry, clothes, later drugs, alcohol, and even gambling. One day I read a book, Daddy's Little Girl by T.D. Jakes. It was about Jesus being my father, how he alone could fill the void, take the pain, and end the sorrow. I was not ready yet, not for 10 to 15 more years. I did not feel worthy of Jesus' love or forgiveness. I am now a proud member of Grace Community Church, and I have a loving and growing relationship with Jesus. I look back with gratitude now and know that I was chosen to be a survivor. I'm here to offer a message of hope, of inspiration, of freedom from addiction, from bondage of self. Jesus has delivered me from a harrowing ordeal to start a new life. I'm here today to dedicate my life to him and praise Jesus. Amen. We're just going to have a prayer with uh, Uta and Bren. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for these stories, these powerful stories and your love for Uta and Bren and what you have done in their lives. And God, we are giving you thanks and praise and we're asking you, Lord, just to let it continue on. May your spirit... As your spirit descended upon Jesus Christ in his baptism, may your spirit fill this place afresh and anew and just flood into their lives, Lord. We rejoice with them. What a wonderful celebration, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody, let's stand up and we'll uh, pray. I just want to remind you, we have Grace and Five over here if you're new. But the prayer wall, the prayer wall, if you haven't had something burn in your heart, as Dr. King says... You need to discover it. 
because life isn't worth living until you do, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody here. Thank you, God, that you have a plan, you have a purpose, you have a dream for each life. God, may that be revealed to us. May we perceive it. May we receive it. And God, may we hold on to the hope of it like a fire burning in our souls. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.